Today we're talking about a delicate subject, something that we believe that God always uses to grow our faith foundation in him. So let me start by asking this question. Have you ever met somebody that has gone through hell on earth, a horrible experience, maybe it's pain, maybe it's tragedy, whatever it is, and somehow they have come out stronger in their faith on the other side of that event? Have you ever met someone like that? Or maybe you yourself, you've gone through something like that, a circumstance you wouldn't want to go through again, uh, you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemy, but you know without a doubt that God did something in your life through that that could not have been done any other way. We call it a pivotal circumstance. Can we all say that together? A pivotal circumstance. Something that only God could use in your life for good. Um, And in those dark hours, uh, those painful days, God seems more real to you. Uh, It seems like you're searching it out. You know, for some people, before uh, pain or tragedy, they looked at the Bible as just another book. Uh, And and suddenly now, because of their pain or tragedy, they're they're opening it and they're searching for answers. Maybe before prayer was just a thing they did at mealtime or bedtime, but now because of this painful experience they've walked through, now they're on their knees and they're crying out to God, asking for answers and clarity and comfort, whatever it might be. Um, I think we've experienced a little bit of that this week with the death of Kobe Bryant, right? And his daughter and the other seven people that were aboard this helicopter crash. And we look and we say, that's tragic that people lost their lives in the prime of their life and all of these things. And I think for a moment in time, it causes maybe those of us in our culture that never think about our mortality to think about death and to think about what's next. But immediately my heart goes out to the family members that are left behind right? The, the funeral planning, the, the, the pain that they're going through. And we hope that something good comes out of that, right? Oftentimes, it's the negative experiences in our life that impact us the most and bring about the most change. And that's why I think this quote from C.S. Lewis is spot on when he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Right, God shouts through pain and it impacts our lives. And so here's what I want us to learn this morning. It's your first fill-in. is what I want us to walk away with, that there is an undeniable relationship between unexpected circumstances and our faith. There's an undeniable relationship between unexpected circumstances and our faith that God will use unexpected circumstances to grow our faith. It's not an accidental relationship. And James, the brother of Jesus, he was there when Jesus died. He was there when Jesus rose again. He said this about trials and pain and difficulty that we all walk through in James 1, 2 through 4. He said this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces, what's that word? What's that word? Perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I got to tell you, we don't really like that verse a whole lot, do we? I mean, when was the last time that you went through something really, really hard and, and you were just considered it pure joy? Right? It doesn't happen, does it? 
But what James is describing is there is something that happens to our faith in that kind of circumstance that cannot happen any other way. And it really is this, your next film, the testing of your faith. When James talks about that, when you go through trials, it's testing your faith. And that brings about perseverance. And perseverance brings about a strong faith foundation. That there are trials and there's difficulties that we go through. Not that we enjoy the trial, not that we like the pain, but James is saying you can have joy knowing there's a payoff at the end. That somehow God is going to use this and leverage this pain in your life to bring about something good. There is a connection between the two. Your next villain, God uses the pivotal experiences of life to grow our faith foundation. God uses the pivotal experiences of life to grow our faith foundation that somewhere in the middle of our pain, God uses it in your life to grow. And I'll be honest, there are many of us that have walked through difficult things. And, and some of these things that I'm talking about even bring us to the point of it's tempting us to even walk away from God. To walk away from faith in him. To say, God, are you in control or are you not? But if we allow him to, he can leverage this in our life to cause our faith to grow stronger. And one of the best passages of Scripture that I believe illustrates this is found in Luke chapter 11. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or you can follow along on the screen. But it's a story of a man named Lazarus that maybe you heard about maybe when you were in Sunday school. Um, and we pick up this fascinating story. And, and, and even if you know the end, I'm going to ask you to pay attention to the middle of this because so much gets lost. And in fact, there's some of this that just kind of messes with my theology a little bit. And I want to just work through that a little bit too. But we pick up this incredible story in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, and it begins this way. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And for context, Scripture says, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair, if you recall that story. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, and this is what they said. Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. What a fascinating phrase. And it really speaks to the close relationship that the four of them had. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus. They were all in friendship with one another. And the relationship was so close that they could describe it this way. The Lord, the, the one you love is sick. Can you do something about this? I mean, come on, we're close, so we're going to cash in on this relationship. I mean, if you were sick and facing death and you were good friends with Jesus, would you not cash in on that? Absolutely you would. And so they sent word to Jesus. Now, to understand this, Jesus is a couple days travel away, by foot, by donkey, wherever he is, a couple days travel away. And verse 4 says that when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Right, here's that phrase again. That scripture wants us to know that Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus, they were tight, they were together. Now, this is what's so fascinating to me is that when Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick and dying, Jesus says something that is hard for me to com 
compute in my heart and my mind when I think about God. And it's this, Jesus is ultimately saying that I've allowed this to happen so that I can receive glory from it. That's difficult to swallow. Wait a second, Jesus, you love Lazarus. Why in the world would you allow him to get sick and to die? I mean, there's got to be easier ways for you to receive glory. I mean, wouldn't you rather be Kirk Cousins, right? And after you've thrown the game-winning toss, and then Mike gets in front of you and says, how'd you do it? You know, tell us all. And he says, hey, I just want to give thanks to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I just want to give God all the glory. I mean, that sounds suitable, doesn't it? Or if you win manager of the year and they give you a plaque and they're speech, 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 and you get up there and say, well, first of all, I just want to say it's because of my faith that allows me to grow in this area and it's given me the success and I just want to give God glory. I mean, that's a whole lot easier to give God glory in that than you being sick and dying, isn't it? And yet Jesus says, this has happened for me to receive glory, for God to receive glory. And here they had this special relationship. Jesus knew their names. And we continue in verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, what did Jesus do? He stayed where he was for two more days. Jesus does exactly what we don't think he will do. Right? In our minds, we're saying, wait, wait, wait a second. You know Lazarus and you love Lazarus, so as soon as you hear that he's sick, what are you going to do, Jesus? You are going to jump on the fastest donkey you have around and you're heading, aren't you? Full steam ahead. We've got to get there in time. But he doesn't. Jesus does nothing for two more days. And I got to tell you, this gives so much credibility again to the gospel and to the writers and the truth to all this. Because if you are writing this story and it is make-believe. You make Jesus be, out, be the hero, don't you? And you get him on that donkey as fast as he can to get out of there. You do not write that Jesus, the one who loved Lazarus, sat around for two more days twiddling his thumbs while his friend is sick and dying. And yet it's what Jesus did. For two more days, he leaves there. He sits there and he says, guys, thanks for the info, but we're not going anywhere right now. And if we're really honest, there's some of you that have felt that before, haven't you? That in your pain and in your circumstance, you just felt like God was a few days late and a couple dollars short of showing up the way that you needed him to and wanted him to. And yet, verse 11 Jesus went on to tell the disciples. He had gathered them around. Jesus receives this news, and he's gathered them together, and he says, guys, I have some bad news for you. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. (laughs) Jesus, that's dumb. Just let him sleep. And I love this about the disciples. They're such dorks. They're such like us, right? They can't read between the lines, And Jesus, it says, is speaking of Lazarus' death, but his disciples were too dumb enough to realize, I mean, they just thought he was sleeping, taking a nap. So he told them plainly, guys, Lazarus is dead, (laughs) right? I mean, you're not reading between the lines here very well, so let me just speak really plainly. Lazarus is dead. Wait a second. I mean, you can kind of see the disciples, the wheels turning a little bit for them to say, wait a second, Jesus 
You've known this for the last two days? You've known that your friend Lazarus is sick and dying and you're still here? Jesus, what are you doing? And he continues in verse 15, and Jesus says something that's quite shocking. He says, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And the disciples are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. For our sake, you were glad that you weren't there to heal him? What about for Lazarus' sake? What about for Mary and Martha's sake who have been grieving their brother who has now been dead for several days? What about for their sake? What about for all the Jews who now say that you aren't the Son of God because you weren't there to heal your friend? Well, wait a second. You did this for our sake? Jesus says, yeah. Here's the reason, guys, why I did it. So that you may believe. So your faith might get stronger. Jesus says, you don't want to, want to know why I let him die? You want to know why I allowed Mary and Martha to grieve the last several days with no answers? Do you want to know why everyone went through the heartache and the pain? I allowed all of that for your belief and for your faith. What? Our belief? Yes. That's more important? You're saying that for us to have a stronger faith is more important than everything they just walked through? Yeah. I mean, these are people you loved. Yep. These are people that you have relationship with Jesus. And I allowed it to teach you a lesson about faith. Now, I don't know about you. I just have a hard time reconciling that. In fact, it's hard to believe that God would do that. And if I'm being truthful, it's the very reason that some of you don't have faith in God and can't have faith in God because of the hurt and pain that you've walked through in your life and it's hard for you to reconcile. You say, I can't believe in a God that allows family members to die or divorces to happen or earthquakes to happen or babies to die in war or high school shootings. I can't believe in a God that allows that kind of thing. Yet this is the God of the Bible. And this is a significant moment for Jesus and it goes against what we think we would like to believe about God. That God would allow pain and a lack of understanding and hurt and he'll actually use those things to grow our faith. That's tough. It's tough to wrap our minds and hearts around that. In verse 17, the story continues. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. 
And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to him, but Mary stayed at home. Now, we don't know why Mary stayed at home, but I have a pretty good guess why Mary stayed at home. Because she was ticked off at Jesus. And in fact, Martha even echoes these words when she came out to see him and said, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How's that for some emotion and truth? If you had been here, and Martha says the exact same thing that maybe you said to God, God, if only you had shown up. God, if only you would have caused that not to happen. God, if only you would have answered my prayer. Then this wouldn't have happened. And you could hear the emotion in Martha's voice to say, Jesus, this is your fault. I mean, Jesus, I've seen you heal people that you don't even know. I've seen you heal people who are part of the Roman government and don't even believe in you, and yet the one you love, us, it's Mary, it's Martha's Lazarus, you didn't even show up. And Jesus just takes the licks. Because he knows it's deserving, he knows it's true. That the emotion of everything they're feeling is real, and he wasn't there. And so on one breath, Martha says to Jesus, if only you had been here. And in the very next breath, verse 22, she makes this statement. It's pretty unbelievable. And she says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. But I know that even now, even though you weren't here and you should have been, I believe that God will give you whatever you ask. She was making a statement of faith. This is your next fill-in. This phrase, but I know, was a statement of belief or trust. They said, God, even in the middle of my pain and even in the middle of these horrible circumstances, I still trust in you. I'm still going to put my faith in you, even though I don't understand and even though I'm walking through the most painful time of my life, I'm still choosing to trust you. In verse 23, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. <clears throat> and Martha answered, come on, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection at the end of the day. Come on, we say this to everyone, right, that one day they'll rise again. They'll be in eternity forever. We do this to comfort people. Jesus, if you're trying to comfort me, it's not what I need to hear right now. And then Jesus makes a statement that has stood the, the test of time. And he makes such an audacious claim about himself that he would have to back up. When he uttered this phrase, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? 
Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. I mean, just what an amazing exchange. Bigger than a friend, bigger than a teacher, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the beginning and the end. It all rises and falls on me. And Jesus allowed all of this pain and all of the unknowns and all of it for this moment, for him to reveal who he really was, to give God glory in this moment, to strengthen people's faith around him. But first he asked Martha that question, do you believe this? Do you believe that I really am the resurrection and the life? It was a statement about her faith and confidence in Jesus. In spite of knowing that her brother's been dead in a tomb for four days. You see, your next feeling, the biggest way that we honor God is by placing all of our life in his hands. The stuff we know and the stuff we don't know. The stuff we understand, the stuff we don't understand. We say, God, I'm putting all of it in your hands because I trust you that you are the resurrection and the life, that you are the son of the living God. Even in spite of my pain, and I can just see Martha with tears in her eyes saying, yes, I still believe. Verse 28, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does that sound familiar? Almost sounds like her and her sister had been talking a lot about this and how angry and upset they were that Jesus would do this to them. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled and asked, where have you laid him? Come and see, they replied. And then Jesus followed them to the tomb. And he wept. And I know maybe you've heard this in Sunday school. You know, oh, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Isn't that great? But we can't underestimate the magnitude of these two words. Because what it told us is that Jesus paused to feel every single thing that Mary and Martha were feeling in that moment. That he paused to understand their grief. He paused to be human. He paused in that moment to understand that there was pain and there was sorrow. And it reminds us that there's a heavenly father that every single one of us has that will pause in our pain and weep with us. That will pause in our difficulties and be there with us. When Mary and Martha felt like God had let them down, Jesus was saying, I feel what you're feeling, and I'm here for you. Verse 36, then the Jews said 
No, they're all gathered. They're watching this happen. They see him weeping and they said, look at how he loved them. Oh, how he loved Lazarus. I mean, you know, everybody's whispering. And then a few others said, well, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? To which we would all say, valid question. Why didn't he? The whole crowd was wondering the same thing. If he really is who he claims to be, and we've seen him do miracles, why would he let the ones closest to him experience this kind of pain and tragedy? Great question. Jesus once more moved, was deeply moved. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Jesus, Martha, the sister of the dead man, says, by this time there's a bad odor. We do not want to open up that tomb. I mean, he's been in there for four days, right? He's saying, listen, Jesus, it's not like you just missed the funeral. He's been in the tomb for almost a week. Like, we don't want to crack this baby open. This is not going to be a good experience for anybody around here. And then Jesus does the strangest things. He says this prayer out loud so everyone can hear. And he talks to his heavenly father and he says, basically, I'm saying this out loud to you so all of these people know that you and I have a connection. And then verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I mean, could you imagine being in the crowd that day? Could you imagine Hearing Jesus say this to an open tomb, half the people going, come on, this guy's not going to rise from the dead. The other half, though, like pins and needles watching, looking. And if he does come out, like, is he like a skeleton? I mean, what does he look like? What does he smell like? I mean, he's got everybody on the edge of the seat as he calls out for Lazarus. And the dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And the eyewitnesses who were there wrote down that Lazarus came out of the tomb fully alive, fully healthy. And many of the Jews on that day put their trust in Jesus as the son of God because of that moment. Jesus just didn't leverage this pain. Jesus created this moment to show what it means to his disciples and followers, what it means to have a solid faith foundation. A solid faith foundation to understand that Jesus will use any pivotal circumstance in our life to grow our faith. But here's the million-dollar question. And this is your next fill-in. The question is, do you lean into God or do you lean away from God when tragedy happens? What is it for you? When it's pain you don't expect and a circumstance you didn't see coming, do you lean in or do you lean out? Do you lean in towards God or away from him? Right, it's the person that says, my mom died when when I was 12 and I've never been able to get over it and I blame God. 
where my parents got divorced and it screwed up my life. And I've said, God, why would you allow that to happen? Or a husband who loses his wife and says, God, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and she still died. And because of it, I haven't been able to trust God again. Truth is, we could pass around the microphone and hear all sorts of stories of people whose lives have been impacted and hurt. I'll tell you what, 2019, it's, it's just been a tough year. You know, as I, as I look at just in, in our family, our church family, people that are battling cancer, people have walked through family crises, couple who lost their daughter this year and no parent should ever have to bury their kids. A good friend of mine, he's a pastor. We went to school together and he's a pastor in Northfield, Minnesota. And a couple years ago, his wife contracted cancer. They have five kids. She beat cancer. And this summer, it came back with a vengeance and took her life. And my pastor friend is left to raise five kids on his own. And there's so much of that kind of hurt. And the tragedy, you go, why? Why? God, why would you allow this? Do you lean in or do you lean out? And what makes the difference? What makes the difference for the person when they experience pain and tragedy to be able to keep leaning into their heavenly father? Or what is it about those people that cause them to lean the other way and walk away from their heavenly father? Is there something, is there a crux, is, is, is there a reason that would cause people to lean one way or the other? And I would say yes. And this is where this entire series, all five weeks, comes together in this moment. And here's the difference for those that lean in and keep leaning in when tragedy has struck. And it's your next feeling. What's the difference? It's the practical teaching and the private disciplines and the providential relationships that see you through. Week one of this series, practical teaching, it's the people that have said, you know what, I don't understand, but I'm going to keep learning, I'm going to grow, I'm going to keep learning, I'm going to keep growing, I'm going to show up on Sundays, I'm going to be there. It's the private disciplines that we talked about in week two of opening your Bible and developing a relationship with God for yourself to learn how to pray and talk to your heavenly father. It's what we talked about in week three, providential relationships. How God will put the right friends in your life. It's people who have gone to small groups and built those relationships so that when tragedy comes and so that when pain comes, your faith can keep being strong. It can cause you to keep leaning in towards your heavenly father because you've done the work of the private disciplines. You've done the work of building the relationships. You've done the work to keep learning and growing. And when your storm comes, you can say like Martha said with tears in her eyes, Jesus, even though I don't understand it, I still trust you. I still believe. Even though I don't understand and even though the pain and the weight of it that I'm carrying seems overwhelming, I choose 
to trust that somehow, God, you're still going to bring good out of this. It makes all the difference. It's why we need each other. It's why we need environments like this. Because you need some people that when pain comes that can help you reframe it. Not make an excuse, but to help reframe it. Because I believe with all my heart that heartache or pain is not an argument against God. Right, that tragedy isn't proof of anything other than we live in a broken world because of sin and now it's part of your story. And that's why I think what Philip Yancey said is so important. He said there's only one thing worse than disappointment with God. It's disappointment without God. Because all of us at some point, your next villain, all of us at some point will be disappointed with God. And the strength of your foundation is determined by whether or not you still trust him anyway. Every single one of us will face disappointment with God. And where we are tested is that when we face pain and tragedy, do we lean in and do we stay? Do we trust him anyhow? I could sit up here for the next hour and tell you a sad story after sad story after sad story about people and tragedy in their lives. Some that have fallen away and said, I'm giving up on God, and other people that just kept going. And one of those was my very best friend in college, growing up, in fact, teenage years, college. And here I am, 20 years old, I'm at college, and she calls me because her father was in for routine shoulder surgery. And a blood clot went loose and went to his heart, and they didn't know if he was going to make it. And she said, Ryan, can you get up here? And I raced over there as fast as I could, and I got up the elevator. I'll never forget when those elevator doors opened, and I watched her a crumpled mess on the floor because her dad just died. And yet we gathered around that family, left his wife, his two kids. He was a pastor. as we gather around that family and didn't give answers, just support. Their faith grew stronger and they kept leaning into their heavenly father. They said, we don't understand it, oh God, but we still trust. We still believe that you're the resurrection and the life. And this side of heaven, we will not understand it all. But I choose to keep trusting you. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. How many things? All things. God is able to bring good out of the pain and good out of the tragedy and good out of the hurt if we let him. But I get it. Some of you, you're like in the middle of this and it's raw and it's painful. And you may not believe a word I'm saying and you may doubt it all and I would just tell you that's okay. It's okay to be where you're at. It's okay to have those feelings. It's okay to have those doubts. God's bigger than all of it. And maybe your prayer just becomes this. God, I need to see you in this. I'm not asking you to change everything. I'm okay with your will being done. But if I can see you in this, I won't give up hope. 
And your heavenly Father will begin to reveal the good out of that pain. And it may take days and it may take weeks and it take months. It might take years. But I promise you, as you keep leaning in, your heavenly Father will bring good out of your pain even when you thought it was never possible. But this is not easy. It's not easy. And so if you're in that spot, the thing that encourages me about this story is that Jesus stopped to weep. And if you're in that spot and you are in the middle of so much pain and hurt, you're questioning God, can I just tell you that your heavenly father weeps with you and he feels your pain, he feels your hurt and he wants to walk with you. Don't lean out. Keep leaning in. Make that daily choice. God, I'm going to keep leaning in and you will see your heavenly father show up in surprising ways. And so your last villain, if we let him, God will leverage our deepest pain and darkest hours to grow our faith in him. It's about our faith foundation. And all those other things help make it secure. Would you mind closing your eyes all over this room as we get ready to pray? And just for you and God, for 30 seconds... Maybe you're in the middle of it to say, God, would you help me to see you in this? Give me some hope. Maybe for those of us, we say, God, I give you permission to leverage my pain for your glory. And maybe you need to make a commitment to the practical teaching. You need to make a commitment to private disciplines. You need to make a commitment to foundational or transformational relationships, providential relationships whatever it is for you to prepare yourself so that when pain comes, you can keep leaning in between you and God. Let's make those commitments right now. So Heavenly Father, thank you that you're with us. You hurt with those who hurt. You weep with those who weep. And we just receive your love and your comfort in a real way right now. God, thank you that you use pivotal circumstances to grow our faith. And I ask that you would give us the courage to fortify these other areas so that when pain comes and when storms come, we will keep leaning in to trust you. We need your help to keep our eyes fixed on you. That we could say like Mary and Martha, in spite of our pain, we believe that you are the resurrection and the life. You are the son of the living God. So what we know, we hold on to what we don't know, we leave in your hands. God, we trust you for it all. In Jesus' name we pray.